Hey folks, it's Matt. Interrupting our typical format of the podcast to bring you the first episode in a new series I'm calling Designers on the Mic. I mentioned this a couple episodes back as kind of not really filler content, but content that I'm able to record in advance um, on episodes where life gets in the way. So we have a new addition to the family and just the regularity I was able to play war games in the past is just going to slow down a bit. And so I wanted to, to be able to continue to get content out there. And so the, the whole intent here is to, to sit down with designers and, and hopefully bring you guys a conversation that, uh, that you enjoy maybe questions, maybe questions that aren't your run of the mill board game designer questions. And so the, the first episode, I want to give thanks to Mitch land who, who sat down and gave me 45 minutes of his time to talk about war games, war game designing, uh, tactical games and uh, a broad range of topics. Before we get too far though, I, I want to touch on a couple things. We'll resume hopefully next month, November with, a a normal history on the table podcast episode. Been playing lots of war games prior to the baby. Um, so there's, there's several games I want to talk about. We have a lot of news for historic fest, Kansas city. I'll do a full update in that episode. In the meantime, I just want to point you to, there's a website. It's just historicfest.com. So it's H I S T O R I K C F E S T.com. There's also a Facebook group. Um, it's just called historic fest, Kansas city, or we've been posting all the updates. I'm going to do a full rundown of all the events we have planned so far. I will point out we're doing early bird registration through the end of the year. So you can save 10 bucks on your registration. All of that's on the website or on our Facebook page. Go ahead and check that out. Uh, let's see other news. Nothing that can't wait until uh, next month's episode. So let's get to the interview with Mitch. All right. So like I said, our first guest is Mitchell Land, known for the Next War series and Silver Bayonet. Uh, Mitch and I sat down shortly after we spent a weekend with the St. Louis Wargaming Group with their designer weekend with designer series that they've started. Mike Denson was in town to demo Last 100 Yards. So this was recorded about a week after that event. So go ahead and sit back and enjoy this one, folks. I had a lot of fun recording it. I think this is a conversation you'll really enjoy. Mitch's passion for wargaming and wargame design and the topics that he has been involved with, I think really comes through in the first part of the episode. And then we wrap up with a nice a nice kind of rapid fire lightning round question and answer that I, that I think you'll find to be a lot of fun. All right. Without further ado, here's Mitch Land. All right, let's start with, I think the natural place to start is, you know, at what point did you start thinking about, hey, I, I can design a war game? Huh. You know, were, were you like playing, were you playing war games one day and just decided that's something you want to pursue or? No. Um, I don't know. I've probably told this story a few times, but that's okay. Is that, uh, so I've, I've been playing war games for, for a long time and, you know, stumbled on Concept World and was just tooling around, found GMT game called Crisis Korea and um, sort of following that folder on there. And I noticed that Gene Billingsley, who really, you know, designed the original, was working on a, an update for it, <clears throat> but it was kind of slow. And so you know, I kept giving him advice and lots of advice and, and you know, redoing the sequence of play and you know, hey, have you thought about this? And hey, have you thought about that? And finally, he emailed me out of the blue and said, hey, you know what, Mitch? I don't really have time to work on this. Why don't you just do it? I'm like, okay, I guess I could do that. So 
kind of snowballed from there and, you know, a little, some advice from Gene along the way and some, you know, assistance when I needed it. And next thing you knew, we were putting up Next War Korea. All right, so Crisis Korea, that came out, and then eight, nine years ago, you're working on Next War Korea. So if I went back and I played Crisis Korea, would I would I recognize it? Uh, after playing Next War Korea, you would probably recognize pieces of it, right? Okay. So, um, the biggest changes were how you advance into cities. You know, the air changed a little bit. The whole naval game obviously got bolted on when we did uh, Taiwan, so that's that's a little bit different there. So you you could probably go back and see the bones of it in Crisis Korea, okay. but it's it's quite a bit different by now. And so was the was it always your intent or Gene's intent to have standard and advanced rules, or was there a conversation somewhere along the line that hey, we should really break this out into two different? Yeah, so. Crisis Korea came that way, and I remember okay. talking about it with, with Gene, saying, you know, did you want to do the same with Next next War Korea? Because my, my original idea was, you know, it, it, it makes it tough to, you know, it's almost like you have to learn two different games, right? Sure. Um, and then on top of that, you pile the game-specific rules, so now you got yet another, you know, rule set or whatever you want to call it to to go through and now you're starting to get a little bit burdensome. He's like, you know what? A lot of players, they just like the standard style game. They just want to get in. They want to move counters, simple ZOCs, you know, maybe light or no supply and just move around and blow things up. I'm like, okay. So we, we guys kind of kept that idea. And, you know, over the years, it's kind of turned out pretty good because you can, you can use the standard game scenarios, the small ones to really learn the mechanics. Um, and then once you've got those down, the rest of it is is pretty easy, right? So you start adding on the special ops and the, the, the advanced air game. And while it seems daunting, since you've already got all the other stuff out of the way, it's not that not as big of a deal. I, I actually I think it's something that other games could benefit from. I mean, you know, like you on Facebook and you see people complain about either games are too simple or they're way too hard. What's the point? <laughs> I think it's nice to add that. All right, if you want more, here's quite a bit more. Right. Yeah, well, sure. And, and you know, different strokes for different folks, but um, I've always leaned more towards the complex side of gaming. So, But, <laughs> but I recognize that not everybody has, you know, and some people just don't have the time or the space to set up something like Next War Korea and leave it out for three or four weeks or whatever they're doing to play it, you know? Right. So you, Korea comes out. Taiwan comes out, and then at some point there's a conversation for Silver Bayonet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that actually started with I went to Gene. It's like I want to do I wanted to do a game on the Falklands. I'm like Gene, I really think the Op Mercury system, which is related to Silver Bayonet and um, Op Shoestring, and uh, oh shoot, um, a blank. The Market Garden game that I can't remember the name of right now off the top of my head. But anyway, they all kind of use the maneuver and assault combat system that, that's in there. And, and he's like, that's that's good, but here's what I'd like to do first is, and he had this idea in the back of his head, he wanted to reissue you know, the 25th anniversary edition of Silver Bayonet because it was one of the first games GMT ever did, right? Um, and so okay. 
that's kind of how that came about. He said, "I'll oh, work. We'll work together on this one, and then after that, we can, you know, talk about what's next in the quote-unquote series." Right. So is Falkland still something you want to pursue? It is. Um, <laughs> I went on a buying spree, bought a bunch of books for it, and I haven't quite gotten <laughs> to them yet. But they're okay. they're staring at me on my shelf, right? Um, I, I think some some of it is waiting to see what the reception for Silver Bayonet was right because that game got very much different than the original right the again the bones from the original game are in there but it it got tweaked quite a bit to give it more of a you know these are these are pavin when you're playing pavin and these are the u.s when you're playing the u.s so it has that true asymmetrical dichotomy right um which doesn't necessarily mean that's going to translate into a into a falklands game but I think the you know further Vietnam games would be fine in there, but just to get the basics down, I think it'll be it'll be good, and then we can look at other things. Do you think Falklands too recent? Is that is that something you have to take into consideration as you're designing? No, I don't think so. I mean, and obviously that's it wasn't a U.S. war, right? Um, so right. there's not going to be any memory here in the U.S. about that. Um, it might be for some of the Argentines or the or the Brits, but uh, I don't I don't I don't think it's too too recent. I mean, look at all the games that are already out on Afghanistan or Iraq and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I don't I don't want to. We'll go back to what you've designed, but you know, last weekend the St. Louis War Gamers hosted the weekend with the designer mm-hmm. with Mike Denson, and you and I started shooting some shit, and we started talking about game design. And I mentioned Cop Keating, mm-hmm. which Hell of a story. I'd love to see that. I, I don't have the creative bone in me to uh, to design. But uh, you mentioned that no one wants to play as the bad guys. True. And so, do you are you do you bump into that at all with next war? I mean, when when the U.S. forces are brought yeah. in, is that is that a bump so at all, or is it next next war? Not so much. I don't think because. So I mean, I think I think like Cop Keating going to have one of the same issues that Labyrinth faced when it first came out, right? Um, and and some of those other games that are dealing with uh, terrorism and things like that, right, is that it's a different kind of quote-unquote bad guy, right? Um, if, you're just, if you're just looking at, right. so take Next War Poland, you know, Russia's always been a bogeyman for you know, a long time. And it's from a nation state standpoint, I think people can swallow that a little easier, you know, but when you're playing a game okay. where, you know, take Labyrinth, you're playing a game where your goal is the jihadicide is to set off a nuke in the U S that's tough, right. Or in Europe or whatever, that's, it's, it takes a different kind of mindset to, to kind of get over that and, and realize it's, it's a, it's a game that's just trying to teach you something about whatever the game designer thinks about how the world works. Right. So how much do you think, um, so I'm trying to say is like, how much does current public opinion impact and maybe not as much with next war stuff. But so, so what I'm thinking is, you know, the civil war wrongly or rightly, and I don't want to get into a conversation on that is is largely romanticized. I think, I think a lot of people take an interest in it. I, I do. Um, but I think recent public opinion has maybe made it, less appealing to do a civil war game? Maybe not. Uh, 
I don't know. I think that's a tough one. I mean, you, at, at a very base level, it's a niche hobby, right? I mean, most most right. people, I would say, ninety eight percent of people have no clue that wargaming even exists, right? And that that might be a little broad, <laughs> but still, um, you know, it's not like it's not like people go around and and think about wow, they're making war games about civil war or all that kind of stuff. I don't. I think most people just aren't even paying any attention to it. Um, now that could change, obviously, but I, I don't think, given the niche size of our hobby, I mean, you know, these aren't the Avalon Hill days where they were printing hundreds of thousands of copies. You know, a good print run might be right. Shoot, I don't know, five to ten thousand games, right? Sure. I guess that makes sense. So, okay, right, let's go. Let's go back to the next war. Um, so you have Korea, Taiwan, India, Pakistan, and then Poland, um, Poland and then you have um, Vietnam coming yep. out, right? Yeah, next war Vietnam. We're working on that right now. We're kind of working the they call it alpha testing, right? We got the map, got the rough order battle. We're just working the kinks out and make sure that there's nothing really weird that can happen, and then we'll probably open up the beta testing. So, you, so when you come up with an order of battle, um, I mean, how do you rate troop quality in a hypothetical game um, like that? So kind of restricted in, in some senses, right? Because it's all open source material, right? Um, so you look at sure. training levels of various nations, and there, you know, there are guys out there, well, and gals, I'm too, I'm sure, but who do that stuff for a living, and they write tons of articles, and everybody's got an opinion, right? Um, so you just kind of have to sift through it, and then. Sure. The the issue now is because there's already a breadth of the of games out there, right? You kind of you kind of have to take all that into consideration and say, well, this feels like they should be a, a five or maybe a six or maybe some of them are fives and most of them are fives and some of them are sixes, you know, from an efficiency rating or what have you. And then you know you look at their equipment and the level of uh, maintenance, and their G their you know percentage of GDP spent on defense and that kind of stuff. You just you know, it's a very broad <laughs> brush, and sometimes, and, and sometimes you get pretty specific on particular units, especially the smaller ones, like a Vietnamese Marine battalion or something. Sure. So, I mean, not officially, but in your opinion, as far as all the all the powers that you've represented in X Force so far, uh, which of them stands the least success of? Uh, in your games, if you if they played out as you've designed them, I'm not sure I understand. You like, like so so if, oh. if your if oh. your games came to fruition, right? Uh, <laughs> who stands the least bid, right? chance of success? Um, probably the North Koreans. I don't think you know. Um, I've talked about that before. Is we had <laughs> to we had to make assumptions that they fixed some things internally and and even externally, right? Uh, to build up enough chutzpah to actually do something. Um, they they probably have a few <laughs> formations that could last a while in a stand up fight, but for the most part, they're you know big big on paper, but that's about it. Which of course is why there's lots of posturing instead of and then so, shooting, but, right? Instead of action, sure. So with you know India Pakistan came out and then uh, Poland came out. 
in, you know, to me, just personally, uh, Vietnam, Korea, Taiwan seem to make more sense. So like with India and Pakistan or, or Poland, what I guess Poland, anyways, what do you look for, for a next war topic? Like when you're considering a conflict to so primarily it's to game a point of point of contention. Right. Um, and so India, Pakistan obviously is the cashmere. That's why it's featured prominently in that particular one. Right. Taiwan is a flashpoint. Korea mm-hmm. DMZ is a flashpoint. Um, Poland, you know, with the annexation of the Crimea and all the crap that's been going on in Ukraine, you know, they have Estonia, Latvia, the Baltics, and uh, Lithuania, right? And there's, you know, Russia, Russia is separated. Kaliningrad is its little enclave, and, you know, you have to go through Lithuania to get to it. And I'm sure that somewhere some, somebody would really like to fix that and uh, make that all one big whole piece again. And so, you know, kind of going off of that idea and then uh, reading. So basically then starting to read articles about, oh, hey, you know, there's this thing called the Suwaki Gap. And there's this rail line that goes from Russia through Saduva into Kaliningrad that's kind of important. And, you know, what happens if the Russians send little green men in there and all that kind of stuff. And so it just kind of gets born from there, you know, and then Mm. just kind of takes on a life of its own at that point. Gotcha. Sure. So what have you, I guess, you know, so Korea comes out in 2012. I'm assuming you're spending, you know, a year or two working on mm-hmm. that. So that was, that was eight or nine years ago, um, mm-hmm. which is before I even got into the hobby. So, you know, what was in vogue then versus like what's hot now? I mean, to me from an outsider, right. I, I see things coin like change, coin, right? That's kind of, well, I mean, right. You just look at, Look at coin. right. So we'll look at where it started on a completely obscure topic, right? Um, Indian Abyss, and then it's right. they're on. I'm not even sure what volume they're on now, but you know everything from actual wars, right? So the conflict in Afghanistan, the you know Pendragon, you know all the way to Gandhi, you know which sure, um, you know through through I'm sure through people for a loop <laughs> when they first announced it, like wait you're gonna make a "Quote unquote war game, coin counterinsurgency game on the peace struggle in India." Okay, you know, um, which you know it is what it is. It's fine, <laughs> but um, so I think I think you know people are in love with the system for one thing, but it's, it's just a it's certainly a unique and innovative way to portray the political intricacies. I think, um, and so those kinds of things are taking off and, you know, you see a lot of, I think what's hot now is you see a lot of experimentation of, well, um, this is a war game, but I'm going to use these little wooden symbols for troops. Right. So like, and again, of course it's Volko because Volko is mm-hmm. very innovative, but you know, you'll look at Nevsky and you know, that that's, that's a, it's a, you're moving troops around and you're fighting, but you're moving little wooden counters around as your troops. You know, they're not, cardboard counters with numbers on them there and i haven't looked too closely at the rules for it but you know i'm sure there's some kind of strength value or something associated with those little wooden blocks but it's so it's just a little bit more it's a tactile thing right um it's it's and it's just a a difference sure and then people are well people are people but you know some people don't like that and some people don't mind it (laughs) 
Okay. Um, so what's what's next? What's the future hold for you? So we already mentioned you have um, you have Vietnam on the way. You have the Korea reprint on the way, and then Supplement Two is the most immediate thing, right? Yeah. In fact, we just a couple weeks ago sent the Korean Supplement Two stuff off to the printer, so those should get those should be starting to come back pretty soon, and hopefully, you know, out sometime Septemberish, Octoberish. I don't know what the actual production plan is, but that that would be good. Um, and then obviously, so, next war Vietnam will be the focus for now. Okay, so that's your focus. Anything else in the pipeline? Or are you, you playing them close to your chest? Um, not really. I, I'm so I'm kind of struggling with, <laughs> you know, what. So Vietnam was really, in my mind, it's finishing the the trilogy, the you know, the China trilogy, if you want to call it that, right? So there, it, and it's surrounding the Spratleys and all that. So you have Taiwan, Korea, and Vietnam, which is, you know, Vietnam's probably less of a flashpoint for China than. Uh, the other two, but still, you know, they've already fought one war with them. Why, why not? Or, well, I'm sure several, but in recent memory, fought one war with them. So if, if push comes to shove and, and things get hairier in the Spratleys, it, it could happen again, right? Um, so that, that was really the impetus behind Vietnam is to kind of finish off the, the, the China trilogy. Um, so, but to go from there, I, I'm toying with ideas, you know, obviously... Um, supplements seem to be pretty popular and it, it also gives me a chance to, you know, throw new things in there and update, update orders of battle or provide new equipment that might've come out or, or what have you. So I'm sure we'll do a supplement three, um, with some things. There's been some pretty radical order battle changes for the Russians. So they might see some, hmm. some, you know, additions there. I've got a, a thought in my head that I might take the, extend the hex map in Poland up just a little bit further north, so get the rest of Kaliningrad in there, and then, you know, make make the fight over southern Lithuania be hex based rather than area based. Uh, hmm. That's one idea, um, and that that could be in a supplement, right? Because that that would be, a, I think I think it could fit on like a you know eleven by seventeen fold-out maybe or or whatever, um, so it wouldn't have to necessarily be a full map. Um, but then you got to worry about okay, well, how does that affect the strategic display and all that good stuff, but that's, that's in the future. So I'm not going to worry about it too much. Um, you know, the, when I was talking to the Marines, they're like, well, you know, it would be really nice to have a hex map of the Ukraine with some of this stuff on there. I'm like, well, okay. Yeah, I can think about that. But the, you know, the Ukraine is huge. So now granted sure. the, the point of contention is pretty relatively narrow area, but um, so that might be something. Um, the other thing that's kind of intrigued me a little bit is um, the Aegean and the situation there. Um, what you know with Turkey and the S four hundreds and the F thirty five and how does that play out? And does you know does Turkey draw away from NATO? And if so, does that cause a problem with all the stuff going on there? Plus in Syria with the Kurds and and so I'm toying with ideas around that as well. Um, but the, so the other thing that uh, I was also thinking of is once the, once the, um, I'll just, I'll just continue to refer to it as the China trilogy, but once that's done is, you know, taking a good long, hard look at creating an, a more full featured naval game to flesh out the Spratly's battle, right? Cause the, the problem with, problem with next war, it is very much a land and ground, ground and air focused system right um, right 
the, the navy the naval part is just very abstract and it's intended to be so right um so to to give that area its due it really needs a full featured naval system and so you know i might step back and think about how that might work i've always been a huge fan of the fleet games and you know it might be something to to look at those and see if those can be updated or adapted or or maybe it's something brand new um, i don't like throwing new systems at people so it would probably be probably you know similar to the naval systems in in uh, the next war series and just more detailed right individually individually named ships detection and tracking becomes a little bit more important as opposed to the broad brush it has now right sure yeah that'd be interesting so with with vietnam does that fit into the combined game the um taiwan yeah yeah so the plan is to have wow you know rules to where the whole region just goes up in flames right now now, not only does China have to figure out where to where do its strategic forces go, right? Because it's only got a small airborne corps, right? And it's only got so many Marines and, and what have you, and you know, group armies, and it only has so much lift capability and all that good stuff. You know, where do they, if they're fighting a three-front sure. war, where do they send their stuff? Um, and then, you know, the, U, the U.S. is the, the primary ally, right, of all the PACRIM nations where do the carriers go, right? Where does, where does the 82nd Airborne go? Do we, do we reinforce Korea? Do we, you know, tell Vietnam, sorry, you know, we were, we were starting to make friends, but you're on your own or, (laughs) you know, whatever. I don't know, but you know, give the, give the player as a theater commander, the, the choice of how how he wants to manage that, that battle. Right. Oh, no, that sounds fantastic. That would be, uh, yeah, I like it. That'd be a good. That'd be a good con game, right? Uh, absolutely, invention I mean, game, not a gosh, game. Not the other kind of con game. I mean, now I'm thinking like you could have three commanders in each theater, and maybe yep. like an overall commander, and they're just like begging for troops, and the guy's like, "Sorry, exactly. man. Mm-hmm. yeah, no, that that'd be awesome." Um, so you you mentioned this a little bit, and there's lots of articles I think talking about this in more detail, but uh, your games being used by, I know the Marines, um, mm-hmm. up in New Jersey. At the Piccadilly Arsenal, right, and at Fort Leavenworth. Yep. Uh, so that had to be pretty surreal, right? I mean, yeah. when they first started, I guess they approached you and said, "Hey, we're going to do this." Yeah, it's pretty. It was pretty cool. Um, yeah, Doc Doc Lacey out at the Marine War College. You know, he's he's been using games in his curriculum for a long time. He's a big proponent and advocate for them. And you know, he had he had this idea in his head of getting kind of like what we were just talking about. He had. Taiwan, Korea, and Poland all set up, and it was really from the from the Marine, from the students' standpoint, it was how do we fight a three point three front war with limited lift? You know, um, who who do we short? Who we who, where's our main point of effort and all that kind of stuff? Not necessarily to play the game, but just to get them to think about the strategic implications of the choices they made, right? Uh, and so it wasn't it wasn't necessarily the game played by the rules. Right. Um, although the like right. resolution, all that stuff was done that way. Um, but, but at a, at a higher level, there were, there were changes made. Right. So the Russians were a little bit more beefed up cause it was a little bit further in the future. You know, NATO, NATO showed up, um, pretty powerfully. And so there were, they had a few more formations and, and that kind of stuff. And then, you know, they, they had, they had coursework and classwork and whatever they were doing up to leading up to it to make, 
kind of the strategic buying decisions of well, did I spend money on diplomacy or, or whatever, which is so they did. So the U.S. side did, or the Allied side did, right? So that's why NATO showed up in force because they spent money on directed diplomacy, right? Hmm. And so you know the the doc made scenario decisions based on the things that they either bought or didn't chose not to invest in or whatever. So that that was more of a guided experience. Um, and then right. the, you know the the Picatinny Arsenal guys they're interested in just having having a game at a little bit higher level where they can pull levers and see how it affects you know obviously in an abstract sense of how the effects of some things in the arsenal might change the behavior on the on the battlefield or whatever and then the the Leavenworth guys they're starting to get into it now they've been doing their brown bag lunch stuff for quite a while and actually I think in January they're going to do next war Poland yeah so yeah I think I'm going to should head up yep. there um let's uh let's break away from you for a little bit and let's talk about so last weekend uh we're recording this a week after uh the last hundred yards mm-hmm. you and i have anyone who listens to this podcast knows that i i've mentioned your taste in uh, tactical games right so ats mm-hmm. right you're an ats player Very much yeah right and so last hundred yards what you what do you think you know i like it um it's definitely different for sure right it is not it is not like any other tactical game out there. <laughs> um, I think I think the time mechanism. Well, I think the victory. More fair to say, the victory mechanism is kind of brilliant, right? You've got you have to balance the casualties you take with how long it takes you to achieve the objective, with you know whatever else is going on in the actual physical map. And so between just like a, just like a real company commander, you know, you could you can certainly just try to rush the objective and damn the casualties and hope you take them right um, before before you take too many casualties or you can go slow and methodical but then you take too much time and you lose anyway right um, so I think right. I think that part is actually just just brilliant I do so I get it when Mike says he's trying to model the behavior of small units right so you have very small movement allowances and, you know good tactics good tactics work so that's that's always a good sign for me is that you know, good. If if you can accomplish your objective by using good infantry tactics, then that's probably a pretty good tactical game. <laughs> and uh, and I think right. you do right. Um, you know, when you start, especially when you start getting into the bigger scenarios, when you start combining mortar fire with your small arms fire with your tank support and all that good stuff. But yeah, I like it. I mean, I'll, ATS is probably still my go-to tactical game, right? I just like it, and, that's, and some of that's just years of playing it. But I could certainly see, you know last hundred yards being pulled out and played quite often. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I think there's a strong case for, for both. Um, I mean, that's what I've been struggling with is, you know, what system do I go with? I don't think I'm going to get rid mm-hmm. of last hundred yards because it's different enough. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's, right. I think it's something else. Yep. Neat. Okay. Well, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how the airborne stuff works out, you know? Oh Some yeah. Of the ideas that Mike's got and, you know, Eastern Front, Pacific, and you know it's a tactical game. You got to have to hit them all. So <laughs> that's right. All right. So there's a quiz. I'm just kidding. There is no quiz, but there is. Uh, Are there bonus questions? <laughs> <laughs> there is a lightning round, and so this is just first thing that comes to mind. I'm intentionally vague on on some of these, just rapid fire questions. If you want, you can pass. 
Um, but we'll just run through these real quick, and uh, it's just intended to be a little fun. Well, like I, like I said at the beginning, this might be interesting since I'm on some, you know, pretty powerful pain drugs at the moment. Well, that just means your answer will be truthful, right? Yeah, there you go. Pentothal, right? Or no, what, what's that? What's the truth drug? Is that right? Pentothal? Pena something? Oh, I have no whatever. idea. I always talk about it in the spy movies. Sure. Whatever. Okay. Are you ready? Sure. All right. Here we go. All right. Favorite hobby outside of wargaming? Favorite hobby outside of wargaming? Oof. I don't know that I have one. <laughs> <laughs> Reading, because that's a hobby. Boom. I done. read a lot. Good. Okay. Uh, best Missouri brewery? Uh, Civil Life. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> they're pretty good. I don't know if they're better than Boulevard, but uh, that brown ale. Yeah, but that's looks... all the way over in Kansas City. Okay, I'll take it. Okay, favorite favorite military topic to play a war game on? Vietnam. Fiction or nonfiction? <sighs> that's tough. I'd say fiction. I do like nonfiction, but I, I, you know, I can run through fiction books pretty quick. Sure. Sci-fi or fantasy? Sci-fi. Favorite military topic to read about? Vietnam. <laughs> nice. A little theme there, you know. Hey, that's all right. That's all right. What what books on your uh, nightstand right now? <laughs> Which is funny. Churchill. <laughs> Nothing to do with Vietnam. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> Well, it was a gift, so I'm working through it. Actually, a pretty good one. Okay. It's, uh, actually, the full title is uh, Churchill Walking with Destiny because there's lots of Churchill books, right? So. There are a lot of Churchill books. I, I don't know why. Churchill, I think I think people really get fascinated with Churchill. He's just, yep. for whatever reason, has never... I've never said, I want to read a Churchill book. Huh. Maybe I should, though. I, I, me neither. Until I, So it was gifted to me, so I started to read it. And he is definitely a fascinating individual. Yeah. So, in you know, not to get too far aside, but you know, just down the road between us is um, Fulton, Missouri, with the Churchill, whatever that is, Churchill Museum or something. So he's got a lot of his stuff down there. Yeah, I need to. There's there's still so many things I need to go see yep. just here. Uh, but you guys got the World War One Museum. And, oh man, the World War One Museum is great. Yep. Have you been? I can't remember. I did. Yeah, I did. Uh, a couple of years back, they had the big Harry Truman special event thing. Yeah, that we went to. You know this. Cool. I think this November through June, which will which will coincide with Historic Fest, which we'll we'll get to later. Um, they're doing a Vietnam exhibit at the World War One Museum. Oh it yeah, looks pretty I did. good. I saw that. Yeah, so yeah, I'm trying to get out there for that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, back to the questions. Last <laughs> great book you read. The last great book I read? Yep. Better than good. Um, the Battle of Arnhem. Who wrote that? Anthony Beaver. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, last bad book. Ooh, so bad books I try not to finish. Um, <laughs> so it was some... What? Um, damn it. It's the... Uh, I want to say Mr. Jekyll, whatever, but it's not that one. It's the two sorcerers oh. in England. It just came out like a couple of years ago. I couldn't get through it. It was like, shit, I don't remember what the name of it is. That's the Did problem. they just come out with a board game version of it? Maybe. 
Um, yeah, I just jackals in the name or something. Anyways. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think it is, but I just I can't remember. I just I could not get through it. I'm like, okay, this is horrible. So if 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 a book doesn't grab me in the first few chapters, I usually just toss it. So let it go. That's good. I I struggle with doing that. <laughs> Um, I'll, I'll stay attached too long. There you go. Uh, okay. What's a, what's a book that you've read more than once or, you know, multiple times? Uh, Lord of the Rings. Okay. If you, if you could require someone playing either Silver Bayonet or Next War to read one book before they played your game, what would it, what would it be? Well, if you're going to play Silver Bayonet, you should read either Play Coup or We Were Soldiers. Okay. Um, Next war, then not really. I mean, if you wanted to understand some of the things about modern warfare, right? There's um, Grunts is a pretty good book, hmm. even though it so it goes from World War II through Iraq, but it, it traces the you know history of the Grunt basically. Okay. Uh, digital or print books print preferably but i do read digital okay what's next after churchill uh fire and fortitude john c Mc- what's that john about? c mcmanus's volume one of his pacific oh thing. yeah okay uh negroni or rob roy <laughs> rob roy <laughs> scotch or irish whiskey scotch. game on your table right now uh 1914 offensive outrance What's after that? Probably Jaws of Victory. The uh, NES game that's coming up. Uh, all right. Not Nintendo. Favorite RPG class? <laughs> I'm sorry, what was that? Favorite RPG class? RPG class? Yeah. So we're starting a new campaign. What are you rolling as? Oh, 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 oh. I see what you're saying. Um, probably Barbarian. Barbarian, okay. Uh, Gettysburg or Bulge? Bulge. Favorite military base you visited? Ooh. Um, I don't know that I really liked any of them. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's go with Norfolk. Okay. Uh, Navy or Air Force? Navy. Uh, best war game ever made? <laughs> Vietnam, 1965-1975. Okay. What's, uh, all right, that's it. You've, that's it? you've made it and you survived. That's it. Wow. Yeah. Didn't even get struck Is by your seat hot? <laughs> Look at that. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's let's talk about this real quick. So you're you're coming back to Kansas City next summer, right? I am. Apparently somebody's yeah, putting so on some big fest or something. Yeah, but next WarCon is coming back, right? It is, yeah. Yeah, so that's get that little announcement out of the way. Mitch will be in Kansas City for Historic Fest uh, for the return to Next War Con, which Mitch, Chris Miller, uh, they put on in Overland Park here last summer. It was a pretty good time. Well, yeah, I think, what do we have, like 20-something guys show up Yeah, easily? So when, just three days of Next War. Yeah. And now we're going to fold it inside of Historic Fest. Yeah, yeah, it'll still be its own thing. Um, so it'll be taking part of Historic Fest, which is a convention we're putting together here in Kansas City. So, mm-hmm. yeah, next June, yep. if you want to play some, you know, you and I even played some Silver Bayonet. So maybe Silver Bayonet's uh, there you go on the table too. Yeah. 
Okay. That's all I have. Okay. Anything else? I got nothing. Okay. No, no, no other product announcements, huh? <laughs> no. Let's them all. Uh-uh. Lots of ideas. Okay. You know, nothing solid.